0: Well <clears throat> I suspect this morning that you may recognize this passage that you've heard read and you may recognize it by the descriptive phrase that's often associated with it the beatitudes the beatitudes but I suspect that you might be more familiar with Matthew's version of the beatitudes than you are Luke's version of the beatitudes Uh, There might be any number of reasons for that, but I suspect that one reason that us preacher types like to preach Matthew's version and you teacher types like to teach Matthew's version is that in Matthew's version of the Beatitudes, he softens the blow a little bit. He makes it just a little bit more palatable for us to listen to here in the sanctuary this morning. I mean, when Luke does the Beatitudes, when he quotes Jesus' Beatitudes, he says that Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And that makes us uncomfortable because we don't really believe that it's a blessing to be poor, right? But good old Matthew, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And boy, being humble really is a good attribute, right? So we like Matthew's version a little better. And then Luke says, blessed are those who hunger, which doesn't really feel like much of a blessing at all to me and to you. Well, thank goodness for Matthew. He says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Wouldn't we all want to just thirst and hunger for God's righteousness? It's so much easier on the ears, so much more nicer to hear. Well, there are some other similarities or some other differences uh, actually between uh, Luke's version and Matthew's version. Uh, perhaps you've seen some of these differences. Uh, one is that the Beatitudes—the sermon that the Beatitudes occur in Luke's gospel—is about a fourth as long as the sermon where the Beatitudes are found in Matthew's gospel. Luke gets to the point a lot quicker in uh, his retelling of Jesus' sermon. The second thing that's worth interesting noting the difference is that in the Beatitudes in Matthew, there are nine blessings. Blessed are this, and blessed are that, and blessed are this, and blessed are that. Where in Luke, there's only four blessings, and it's followed by four woes. There are no woes in Matthew, which is another reason why people like to preach and teach from Matthew's version. Uh, There are some other differences as well. The sermon that features the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel takes place on the mountaintop. Whereas the sermon that features the beatitude in Luke's Gospel takes place on the plain. Uh, specifically, Southwest Flight 2424 headed nonstop to Miami. Not that kind of plane. Uh, the sermon in Luke's Gospel takes place after Jesus has come down from the mountain and He's on level ground. It's perhaps worth noting uh, at this point that Luke uses geography to make theological points in a way that the other gospel writers don't always use. For Luke, whenever Jesus is on the mountaintop, Jesus is always centered and rooted and grounded in prayer. If you find find Jesus on a mountain in Luke, he's praying. Always praying. But in Luke's gospel, it is after Jesus has spent time on the mountain praying that Luke goes back down to meet the people where they are as Miss Nancy was sharing with the children. This Jesus who receives revelation from on high is always going to where God's people are, meeting them where they are. And so... That's what's happening in the text this morning. I hope you noted, as you heard the Scripture read, that there are three different groups that are on the plane to whom Jesus is identifying with in the Scripture lesson this morning. The first group, according to Luke, are the apostles. Now, the apostles are the inner circle of Jesus. They are his leadership team. They are his primary colleagues and friends to help him get the word out about the good news of God's love. According to Luke, Jesus went up on the mountain wherein Luke, Jesus always what? Prays. He prayed all night trying to discern who would be his closest colleagues, his inner circle, his leadership team, his group of friends And Jesus identifies 12 of those people, and those people are the apostles. And so according to Luke, there are three groups here. The first group is the group of apostles, his inner circle that he's just chosen. The second group that Luke identifies as being a part of this sermon on the plain is the disciples, The disciples. Now, disciples, I think we could interpret, are those that have decided to follow Jesus. The group of disciples are from whom Jesus picked the twelve apostles. So you have a group of apostles, the inner circle, the twelve, and then you have the group that He chose those apostles from, the disciples, those who have decided to follow Jesus. And then Luke says that there's a third group of people in the audience that day. And he calls them in a generic way, the people. The people. These are people who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. These are people who have come all the way from all parts of Judea and Jerusalem, from the coastal regions of Tyre and Sidon. These are people who have not yet followed Jesus, but have come to learn more about Jesus, there are three such groups here. This is another clue from Luke about the kind of person and the kind of ministry that Jesus is about. Jesus didn't just come for a chosen few. Jesus came for the world. Jesus came for every person. So you have apostles... You have the disciples, and you have the people that are not yet disciples. And many in this group would have also been people that were sick, overlooked, neglected, despised, hungry, and poor. Jesus, Luke wants us to know, came for all of these people. Now, who does Jesus talk to? ...when he begins to preach that day on the plain. The scripture says that Jesus looked at the disciples. Now that's not to say that this message wasn't for the apostles... ...who are his inner circle, his leadership team. It's not to say that it wasn't for the people that are yet to follow Jesus... But it does suggest that Jesus wants to make sure that the ones who've already decided to follow Him, the disciples, that they realize that this is especially true for them. Jesus wants them to know that what He is about to say is important. And it's especially important to the people who have made the decision to follow Him. Because He's about to share what He really values in life. And he's suggesting that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple, that the things that matter to him should also matter to you and to me. And so Jesus begins this sermon by looking at the disciples. Well, if you've ever been poor or hungry or sad or excluded you probably would agree with me that that's some of the most difficult and painful periods of a person's life. And if you've ever been poor or hungry or sad or despised or hated, you've probably tried to do anything and everything that you could to get out of those circumstances. Well, Why then would Jesus say that these things are blessings? What are we to make of this particular text? Well, I think that when Jesus begins this sermon after he has looked at his disciples, those that are already followed him, and says, Blessed are the poor, that Jesus wants them to know that the poor have a very special place in his heart. Jesus wants them to know that he identifies with the poor in an important way. So if Jesus were to just pull up to a traffic light... uh, Jesus wouldn't pull out his cell phone and start checking his email in a way to avoid making eye contact with the man or the woman that's holding the cardboard sign that's asking for help for their food or for money or for work. If Jesus pulled up uh, next to uh, someone standing on the side of the road with that cardboard sign that was waving at you, Jesus would probably wave back. What Jesus wouldn't do would be to get over into the far right lane so that they wouldn't have to walk right by your window and you wouldn't have to get in too close a proximity to these people. What Jesus wouldn't do is just give them a dollar or a little bit of change just so that they'll leave you alone and move on to someone else. Jesus sees the poor. Jesus loves the poor. Jesus is willing to say that the poor are blessed. Not because they are poor, because there's nothing good about being poor. But Jesus has a special place in His heart for the poor. And if we, who are disciples, just like the disciples listening to Jesus in the sermon, are going to really be disciples, then we have to care for the same people that Jesus cares for in the Scripture this morning. And Jesus says that the poor are inheritors of the kingdom of God. Not one day they will be inheritors. Jesus says that they are, they have already inherited the kingdom of God. And that's a theme that's over and over and over again gets reinforced in Luke's Gospel. There are two references that we've already seen in Luke's Gospel that refer to the kingdom of God. One was in chapter 4, and one is in our Scripture lesson today. And both make clear that one of the hallmarks of the kingdom of God for Luke is redemption of the poor. And so it begs the question... Can the kingdom of God be fully realized on earth as it is in heaven as long as there are poor among us? Now I know what you're thinking. I can look out and see this biblical scholars that gather here Sunday after Sunday. You're saying to me, I know, but didn't Jesus himself say that the poor you will always have with you? Interestingly enough, Luke doesn't quote Jesus as ever saying that. It's in every other gospel, but Luke has no record of Jesus ever saying that the poor will always be with you. And even if I acknowledge to you that in the other three gospels, Jesus is attributed as saying that, I would also share with you that we have probably misinterpreted the words of Jesus grossly when we think, that, well, the poor are always going to be with us, there's nothing we can do about it, so I'm not going to worry too much about it. For when Jesus says that the poor are always with you, it's actually a reference to Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, where God is talking about doing the will of God and being the people of God, and that one of the reasons why poor people exist is because we don't do what God wants us to do. We aren't being what God wants us to be. And so God is saying in Deuteronomy that the reason the poor will stay here and always be here is because we who are following God aren't doing all that we can and should in order to eradicate poverty from the world. Jesus, when He's talking about the poverty here, He's talking about people that really, really matter to God. Important people in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying that if they matter to God, and if they matter to me, then they should matter to everyone who claims that they follow me. Well, then he goes on to talk about the hungry, and then he goes on to talk about the sad And the promise that Jesus offers to the hungry and sad in Luke's gospel is a future promise. You may be hungry now. You may be sad or weeping now. But in the future, that will change. Your fortune will be reversed. Jesus, again, is pointing out that He sees and hears and feels and cares about the needs Of people that we often overlook, that we often ignore, that we often uh, fail to reach out to as we should. And then he goes on to say, When we are blessed, that you are blessed when people hate you, or revile you, or defame you, or insult you. What He's offering here is that He is saying to them that this won't always be the case. He's providing reassurance to those who are hated and despised that it will not always be true. But He's also offering a condemnation to those who do hate, who do defame, who do exclude, who do uh, ignore Jesus is speaking to us as well. The problem isn't with the hated. The problem is with the haters. And Jesus is saying that if we are hated because we are proclaiming God's special truth for all people, that those tables will be turned, that we have chosen the right side, and that great will be our reward Well, it shouldn't be surprising then that Luke uh, talks about woes. If he's talked about how that the poor and the hungry and the sad and the hated matter to God, that there would be some woes for those who don't care for those same kind of people. For those that are so rich that they don't worry about the poor. For those that are well fed, for those who are happy, for those who are well liked. He offers these woes to the people there. Jesus, in Luke's Gospel, is clear why He came. To proclaim good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom to those who have been oppressed, and the year of the Lord's favor where The field is leveled again. All debts, both sin and physical debts, have been forgiven and all are on equal footing. And I think the key to Luke's whole part of the Beatitudes here is in verse 24 when he says, Woe to the rich, for you have received all the comfort that you are ever going to receive. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Luke spends more time talking about the dangers of wealth than any other gospel that we have in our scripture. In Luke chapter 1, we are told that the rich will go away empty. In Luke chapter 12, we are told told about a rich man who has an abundant crop and he thinks that this abundant crop is going to uh, ensure his future security only to find that man dying that very night, therefore placing his trust in the wrong kind of security. In Luke chapter 14, there's a parable of a man who throws a great banquet and he invites a lot of people to come and enjoy the banquet with him. But one by one, everyone invited to attend this great banquet declined the invitation because they were so focused and worried about their own possessions. Ultimately, when no one that was invited to come to the banquet comes because they're worried about their own stuff, the man goes out and invites the poor and the crippled and the lame, and they come. Scholars believe that this man who invites to the banquet is supposed to represent God to us. And then we would be the ones who oftentimes refuse God's invitation to be dependent and to come to Him because we're worried more about our own stuff. In Luke chapter 16... There is an unnamed man who ignored the poor and diseased only to find out that when he died, the poor get VIP seats in glory while he is far from God. In this particular parable, the man that was poor, Lazarus, is named while the rich man who had no concern for the poor and the diseased goes unnamed and lives in torment. And then in Luke chapter 18, there's the story of the rich young ruler who is told by Jesus that it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for rich people to get into heaven. Over and over and over again, Luke wants us to know that the more stuff we have, The greater likelihood we are to place our trust in that stuff and not on God. And that the more stuff we have, the more we tend to turn inward and ignore and neglect people that are very special to the heart and to the mind of God those that are poor, those that are hungry, those that are sad, those that are hated. And Jesus wants His disciples to know, these people matter to me. They matter to God. And if you claim to follow me, then they better matter to you as well. But we trust our money, and we trust our own gardening green thumbs, And we trust our own winsome personalities to provide us with riches, to provide us with happiness, to provide us with power and status. But Luke does provide us some good news for disciples. It's not too late. There's a story of Zacchaeus You may remember the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he'd been taking people to the cleaners for a long time, taking a lot more taxes than he was supposed to be taking. And one day he has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus calls up to Zacchaeus while he's in a tree and says, Come down, I want to spend time with you. And it was that experience with Jesus that led Zacchaeus to repent for all of the wrong that he had done. Not only did he repent, but Zacchaeus decided to make restitution to the people that he had harmed. And we're told that Zacchaeus, after this experience with Jesus, gave half of everything that he had to the poor. And that if anybody that he had wronged in collecting taxes, that he would pay them back four times the amount that he had taken from them. This encounter with Jesus changed Zacchaeus. And because it changed Zacchaeus and he gave money to the poor and to the people that were desperate and down and out, it changed the lives of so many other people as well. And I think that's the point of the story today. Is that when we hold on to what we have, it robs us of the joy and the satisfaction of being able to reach out in Christ-like love to people that matter a whole lot to Jesus. Christ speaks in this passage both blessings and woes. And we disciples need to hear both.